high school things. So I would find, because it was when dancing was really big on the app. And so I was just doing dances, but adapting them to my needs being in a wheelchair. Because a lot of the TikTok dances were pretty user-friendly. And I really appreciated that because I was able to not have to put too much change to the dances and still keep up with everyone else. So I just filmed what I wanted to when I wanted to. And people, I think, really enjoy that side of me. We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And I'm first excited to welcome the program my co-host, Paul Hollis. Paul, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest today. I'm good. I, I definitely am. I'm, I actually live just down the road from where you are now. <laughs> so. Yes, he's in Erie and you're in Cleveland. Uh, so our guest today is Lolita Molina, actress. How are you, Lolita? And you really are groundbreaking in so many ways. And the challenges to break into the acting business and really kind of becoming such a special thing to be able to do. So when you were growing up, you always dreamed of acting, right? And probably people told you, no, you can't, right? Um, yes, I grew up in a, a big, big family and it was a big family of realists. I grew up in uh, a very uh, right. Midwest area and they always told me to be very realistic with my goals growing up, but I'm a very stubborn child. So I, I'm glad for all of their advice, but I'm still going to be pursuing what I would like to pursue. And I think it's slowly paying off. I think it is definitely with just, you know, just being able to do it. So kind of like talk to talk to me about when you said, OK, I'm really going to be an actor now. You know, it's it's like you you say you want to, you have your dreams. I had dreams of certain things and say, okay, now I'm going to do it. What age was it when you said, I'm going to do it? And It was it around age 11, uh, 10, 11 years old, I believe, when my father found a local community theater group was host, they were hosting um, auditions. And I said, I want to give that a try because I had only ever done dance. And while I love ballet, it wasn't so much the acting style I wanted to continue with. So I first was introduced to theater and fell in love with it and then film a little bit later after that. Wow. And uh, starting out that way, did you find it just that there's a certain love when you're on stage? You said this is I something I got to do. Yeah. I love being on stage. I do. It's just uh, I feel that there are limitations to the world of theater versus the different realms that we can create with film, especially today with all of our technological advancements. So while I love theater, I feel like right now it's a little stagnant. So film is where I want to continue pushing myself. Because why is theater stagnant for you? What do you think? I would say theater is stag uh, stagnant for me in the new plays and shows that are being written. To me, it's kind of fallen to same old, same old. I've seen it before. I know we can say that about films as well, but I feel like you can get away with a lot more in cinema than on, on the stage. You figured out a way to get discovered too in certain ways using the power of social media. Wouldn't you agree? So tell us on that story of how you did that. Because that's key. It right? was, yeah. Absolutely. And it was kind of by accident. My little sister had made a joke that I wouldn't be able to keep up my, at the time, musically account longer than a week. Uh, it was the same week it was being bought uh, by TikTok. And it kind of blew up overnight when a larger creator at the time found one of my videos. And she was a big help to my uh, movement. 
And then, then it's up to you to keep it going, right? And that's oh, the thing. What's the crazy thing about social media, especially now, is you got to live on it, right? It's not this. Okay, I just posted today. That's it. There's so much more to it, right? So once you went, you were like, you were shocked the reaction, right? One influencer gets your message out, and you're like, what just happened here, right? It, it kind of. <laughs> did you get advice to just go with it? Because I've talked to so many TikTok creators that started from scratch and they just put so much effort and it's like, wow. And then they just, they just went with it. And the thing was that I wasn't really doing much at the time I was wrapping up, uh, high school things. So I would find, a, cause it was when dancing was really big on the app. And so I was just doing dances, but adapting them to my needs being in a wheelchair. Cause a lot of the TikTok dances were pretty user-friendly and I really appreciated that because I was able to not have to put too much change to the dances and still keep up with everyone else. So I just filmed what I wanted to when I wanted to. And people, I think, really enjoy that side of me because I don't have one specific branch of thing that I will post. If I feel like posting a cooking video over a dance video, I'm going to do that. If I want to post my editing techniques versus um, talking about being in a wheelchair. I will post whatever I want, whenever I please. And I think people like that. And it's because you're being a brand. Once you created the brand, you had to live the brand, but they want to see your life. They don't want you to just keep talking about what you've overcome, right? That gets old. You have a creating new ideas, things that engage people and entertain people is the big thing about being successful on social media nowadays because there's so much competition. Yeah. I like showing every single side of my life because what you see like on my TikTok and my YouTube, that is who I am. I don't have a activist persona that I put forward. And I think a lot of people who are in similar predicaments to me, their whole brand is pushing uh, awareness for their situations. And I think that's great. I would get very bored doing that. And I feel like it would get a little repetitive in my branch. So I think people like seeing that I'm not just the wheelchair. I have so many other avenues that I love to show other people. And I think, I think people like that. So Paul, are you inspired by what she's done and what she's doing? Yeah. I, uh, Lolita, I'm, I'm expecting great things from you. So I want to see you in the future, first of all. And second of all, I want to ask you, are you related at all to the baseball Molina family? I am do not. Know, do you know uh, who I'm talking about? Gadier Molina and... And those folks, yeah. Uh, no, family is a baseball family. Oh, you, yeah. The base. Oh, are you related to not not related to the baseball family? Though? No, not. Um, oh, I was I, gonna. I was gonna say if you were, my my son would be in love with you because he is a is a Yadier Molina fan from way back. He was born in Guatemala, so so uh, my my son is a uh, uh, you know a, a great um, uh, inspirational Latin American kid. So. Mm -hmm. No, um, within my family, about 100 or so years ago, we had a baseball player uh, who played alongside the time period of Babe Ruth. So while not that family, I do have family members that are involved in baseball. So, okay. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> now, once you got the opportunity, went viral on TikTok, meaning really built followers, built a big audience, opportunities came your way. What was your big break then from that? What would you say? My 
my agent found me through TikTok. And it's a funny story because I thought he was a scammer because uh, uh -huh. I, I had gotten a couple <laughs> of them and I ignored him uh, four, four times, I believe, before he got his client who had a million followers on the platform. She messaged me and said, hey, he's legit. He's real. Uh, he wants to submit you for a project. And so I gave him I gave him a chance and I got to audition for the Texas Chainsaw film that aired on Netflix. And then shortly after that, I got the job with Lionsgate for one up. Wow. And then there you go. It just it, 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 came, it came from there. But see, that's what people understand. You got to keep grinding. You got to keep creating. You got to keep doing. You never know when that break's going to happen. You shouldn't give up, right? Explain that in so many ways. Because even while you were on social media, you said, what's happening? Is there anything more going to come of this? And then you're sitting there next time in a, th in a th in filming. And you're like, what just happened to me, right? That's, Absolutely. That's, and and you're, you, to tell people, why shouldn't they give up in their project, their dream? Tell us that. Because I think that's inspiring for you, what you've been doing and how you've been successful so far. I think the main thing people need to take away is using the word stubborn to describe yourself is not going to always be a negative connotation because being stubborn can also be correlated with you're persistent and you're also resilient. So I always take when people tell me that I'm stubborn as a compliment because I'm aiming for only good and positive things. I never aim for a negative, which can also be associated with stubbornness. So I would say, if you know what you want, it's only going to bring positivity to your life and those around you. Be called stubborn and you can wear it as a badge. <laughs> Do you hope more and more roles involve uh, you the, t the type of character that can fill in for you? That's the challenge, especially when you work with people with disabilities and stuff, and you're in this situation where they're not creating the roles when they need to. If they're creating other diverse roles, they have to think about that more. Do you agree? I'm sure you're an advocate in that way to start creating more of them, right? They're not enough of diversity in all different backgrounds and in shows and films and different things that they need to start doing more and more of. I am, and I'm also a realist when it comes to being an advocate. I want it to see it done, and I hope to see it done in a realistic way. I saw um, her name's Jessica. She's also in a wheelchair. And she was talking about how a lot of producers think if we have a disabled character, the whole show has to be about the disabled character for some reason. Mm -hmm. And we're all saying, we don't want that. We just want to work. And I kind of see it as it's kind of like the uh, American Disability Act movement all over again, but for this specific industry and um, we don't want to be seen as special and put above others we just want to be able to have that same chance as everyone else and that's how i see it and they aren't they're doing okay but you know how they splash in diversity in certain films and different things and said so, hey let's make it real what the real world's like right not <laughs> this rose-colored world where everyone's in perfect shape and looking no really let's be real that's what we have to start doing. That's why social media is doing so well in certain platforms, because these are real people, not fake. And I oh, think that's the more, more we have to do to say, okay, oh, we're going to splash it in. We're going to put it here. We're going to put it here. No, let's think about what really is happening in this world today and create projects based on that. And I think that's going to be 
people like yourself going out there and talking about it and everyone else in the ADA, uh, just how there is not really a group in the involved in for actors like that for the ADA. Is there, or is there a little bit, you're not familiar? I personally am not entirely sure. I'm still finding uh, actors and entertainers every single day. I already day. have a person to connect you with. I interviewed them. You'll have to go on my YouTube channel. I'm terrible with names because I interviewed so many people but I already am thinking of somebody and it'll come to me right after the interview. That's what I'm saying. I wish I had this producer saying, and you interviewed this person three, four weeks ago. Well, someday I'll have that, but I will look like, Hey, I forget. So I will definitely connect you. Uh, they did a great thing with Easter seals with a film festival. I don't know if you're familiar with the Easter seals film festival that they do in California. Are you mm -hmm. familiar with that? Okay. I know the head of it, so I don't know oh. if you know him or not. So that's, I, what, so there you go. I'm the connector, right, Paul? I know everyone, right? I've talked to everyone. Does, I speak to everybody. And it is, it's an every week, every day thing. So I appreciate it. Best place people can find info on you. Oh yeah. Latest project, Louie, that you can talk about. Are there any projects you can talk about right now? Right now it's realistically, it's just the world of auditioning and waiting. Um, that's just kind of, that's another thing I think a lot of actors struggle with. And I, I talk to my, my agent about it all the time. I'm someone who's always been go, go, go. I don't like to rest. I don't like to wait. I'm not a patient person and I need to work on that because I recently had a whole onslaught of auditions and they're all really, really good. And now I just have to sit back and wait and I hate waiting. Wow. They were all really, really good. So I really hope to hear back soon from someone so currently it's just a lot of writing, trying to get new books written, sitting down and getting that done and making more network connections if possible. It's just a waiting game, unfortunately, but that's how it is. The industry right now, I had a conversation this week about the industry and the hardest part is that it's not great for us, especially with the writer strike. That writer strike is gonna is hurting things. You need to get that forward. And to think that you can use AI to write scripts and all that stuff is ridiculous. It's not the creativity, it's not the thing that, that AI needs to be utilized for good, not bad. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. all, I'll, I'll bring that up. I mean, it's been driving me crazy this week about AI and my thoughts and just everything. And the writers need to pay them. They bring yep. great stories to life. Go ahead and do it. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine without writers and things that they create so we can enjoy and forget about what life we're going through right now and just sit down and relax and pay the writers what they're worth. That's all I, I have to say. Industry forgets that everything starts with the creative mind that holds a pen. And I think they forget that. Um, an actor is only as strong as they can be with the script that they are given and I know a lot of companies right now are just outsourcing other writers during this writer's strike, which is not the way to go about it, in my opinion. I know there's going to be some writers who are going to take this opportunity to get that one leg up, uh, if possible. And I mean, teach your own. We all have rent to pay. But yeah, but yeah. and they're dealing with because they it. can't go get the side writing because of AI. The conversation needs to come out is, okay, if AI is going to, and this is me on my soapbox, take over jobs, take over the situations, then basically people need to be educated like any type of industry coming out where no longer this industry is around. How do you transition to something else? 
And that's the power of social media. Everyone needs to bring those things up and then for, and, and get actors working because we don't make tons of films anymore. We need to still pay the actors, everyone who's artistic, the creators, because they're entertaining people, not just the only certain people keep the bucks. I'll get on my soapbox about the WWE and pro wrestling in general as a former professional wrestler. They never paid the talent what they're worth. And then yet you have other professional sports because of a union that pay their talent what they're worth. It's the bottom line. I guess union uh, unionizing in anything is so important. That's why they're striking. All right. Now you have books too. See, I forgot about that. So tell us about your books. I was asking projects. What about books people can check out? I currently have four novels out on Amazon and I need to get more out. I just haven't finished them currently on a writer's block uh, in my mind. But yes, my books aren't my babies, even though there might be some spelling errors because I didn't go through a publisher. I'm self-published. So please be gentle. <laughs> and where's that? Where can people find it? Amazon or find mm -hmm. you? Where's, you have a website people can check you out? Where's the best place? Um, Amazon and you just look up my name and the books will be pretty much the first thing I'll pop up for you. Okay. Well, and follow you on all social media. I appreciate it, Louita. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley show. We'll be back in just a moment. Back to the Neil Haley Show. And again, I'm excited to have a back on the show. Author, again, he is a education consultant, former uh, uh, teacher and now administrator, uh, Dr. Christopher Goldberg. Uh, Dr. Chris, thanks for stopping by. And we're going to delve into STEM even more. You know, we keep going further, deeper down the the things that people should be thinking about. Now, you know, some of the schools have STEM teachers, right? But now we want to go into some of the things that the STEM experts are going to, and you learned about, and you want to discuss today, socio-scientific issues. Can you define that for me first? Oh, sure. And uh, I, I was just at a big conference uh, this past weekend at Arcadia University, uh, where so many of these urban issues are so important and the socio-scientific they call them ssis if you want to are uh real world problems that are unsolved that are continually making and causing inequities in the urban area and beyond throughout this country and and the idea is to empower our students and I actually met students that are doing real world solutions and some of them are amazing. I can touch on them to help some of these problems, which can be, they're all related to science and technology, but the areas are social issues, um, ethical, economic, environmental, of course, is such a big issue. And some of the inequities, whether it be food, whether it be energy consumption, whether it be how the environment is impacting certain areas and uh, these are just all so important for us to address and have our students be a part of. So, so important. And the great thing is that you're teaching STEM in, these in your class, but relating these social issues. That's so huge because 
you're giving different perspectives of understanding. If we don't treat things using STEM in our environment today, what's going to happen to where we are as a world globally if we don't? Oh, sure. The, the critical thinking skills that we need to give to our students and advocate for our students are vital because the, everyone has to contribute to some of these fixing these problems. I'm sorry, but not one group, not one side of the political, not we all have to do it. And if we don't empower our students to think about these and understand how they can have an impact, first of all, they, they're excited to work in these areas because they know they're impacted by them. And when they have a say and they can make real change, they're so much more motivated. I, I saw it on Saturday. It was incredible. All right. So let's kind of break things down right quickly and say, what would you do from what you learned to give teachers some tips how they can use this in their classroom? There are some strategies that we saw and, and effective strategies that were used K to 12, not just high school. It was all the way down to first grade where you can give opportunities for your students to learn a little bit about an issue, then go and take a stand, what they had us do. And they, you know, had us educators there. So we were the ones and you, you picked the side of what you thought about this particular, particular issue. The one that they used was, um, mining um, the uh, the metals and all the different uh, ingredients. Well, that's not the right word, but the different materials that go into a lot of the green energy that we make. And there are pluses and there are minuses of getting these materials. It's very difficult how it's being done, where it's being done, and, and the positives and negatives that come arise from each. And then once you did that, you... They gave us some strategies on how the students can learn more about it and then have them take the other side of their opinion so that each student or each member can can argue their side, but understand the arguments of the other side so that you can critically really think by saying, oh, I get your point because now I have to present your point. Those critical thinking skills we don't see them in the real world right now. We see you, everyone says, this is how I believe. But if you can turn on youngsters to see both sides, you know, then they're going to form better opinions. They so that was will. the best and, one. And then taking each issue, and then you can break it down even further. Like you can break it down even further into the different areas of STEM, science, technology, uh, engineering, and math in each lesson, right? It was fantastic. Uh, so another one that uh, this is a, what a student in Philadelphia is doing at Central High School. Two students were there, both uh, uh, underclassmen. As a matter of fact, they did a whole bunch of research on you know food insecurity in the urban area, especially since the pandemic is a gigantic issue in almost every urban area in this country. And they found that 40 percent of all food is being wasted. So they found ways to collect excess food from supermarkets and other food areas and find a way to get it so that they can be put in a, in a location where they're still fresh and now available to folks who really need food. Why are we throwing out 40% of our food when probably more than more than 40% of the populations in, in urban areas and beyond have major food insecurities and they found solutions and they're actually going to be going national. It's just incredible that underclass students are leading this project because 
their teachers at their school empowered them to find ways to make a difference. They researched it, they critically thought. And, and this really is what STEM is. It's programming, it's robotics and all that, but the critical thinking and solving of problems is the biggest part of STEM. And so, and when you thought about this, what would you say that you'd add into your workshops, especially when you're focusing again on, because of your book, focusing on women in STEM? Is such a big oh, well, girls and STEM it, it, such a big part of it. What were you thinking about through this? Well, well seeing us, I actually me getting involved in this activity as you know, as a student would, you know, these hands-on opportunities. If I'm going to go up there and stand and just tell people information, there, there's going to be some valuable information. But you need to put the the the, the teachers, the staff members, yeah, and if they're with students in the situation where they can practice and see the benefits of these critical thinking skills and actually play it out, role play it out. It's fresh in my head exactly what to do. And it was fun. It was incredibly engaging. And there's so much back and forth. And then there's so many more ways you can take it. So actually getting to do the process. And that's how I um, love, you know, I was a STEM teacher. I didn't stand up and talk for more than a few minutes to my students and I, and getting them involved and making it uh, student centered is, is so much more effective. It seems so more effective and it's like, holy cow, this is what's happening. You know what I mean? It's like real, are you, are you kidding me? Uh, it, it's such exciting things in education. And this is what I loved as a teacher and kind of explain that once you teach people, teach people STEM through what you help people, when you come up with these new ideas and teachers are now, oh man, I'm not gonna have to look in this boring curriculum that's gonna give an idea and then I'm gonna have to look and figure it out for myself. You're gonna hear fresh new ideas compared to some people when they pull out that teacher's manual and then just flip through it, you know, and say, okay, here are some examples. You see this little paragraph, this is how you can utilize STEM. That's not enough, but by bringing in someone like you that's giving these fresh ideas so that you can explore, you don't have to buy lesson plans, you can learn firsthand how to explore. Because even news teachers have difficulty with research, even with ChatGPT. We'll have to do a topic on education and ChatGPT maybe at one point in time, but go ahead. Well, you're not teaching students or, or teachers facts. You're teaching them how to think so they can find the facts and then use them to make change on their own. And so you're you're teaching them how to think. And if you can give them a strategy and give them examples of ways that they can learn on their own and then take that and advocate for their students, that that's the best thing. That's the best part of being a teacher if you're a facilitator. And that was this whole purpose of this conference was you're a, you're a facilitator they are going to learn a lot more. They're going to remember a lot more. They're going to have a lot more meaning. And especially all the research always shows that if it's a minority student or an underserved student, I mean, they have power of their learning and they see the value of it. Their performance is at the top. And that's the best we can do for all students. So uh, there's no better joy than I than seeing a student going out on their own with what we've given them, just the tools and they go and do the learning and they're facilitating best place to go for people to check you out is where chris goldbergbooks.com and i have a copy of my first book Lee and the Stemsational problem solvers what's cooking um this is uh, really great for second third fourth graders um very inclusive 
book and we're working on our second one with my two student illustrators. Very exciting. We're also going to be getting written up in the local paper in Delaware County, which is really neat. All right. We'll definitely have to get that information out on your social media. We appreciate it, Dr. Chris. It was great information. All Fantastic, right. Neil. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Back to the Neil Haley Show. My guest again is business strategist Gene Kuhn. Gene, how are you? Your videos are all over the place. And I love the fact that you just give the greatest video bites. I, you know how the, you know, in back in the old days of sound bites, you mm -hmm. give video bites and you tell it like it is and you nail it. And that's why you're a great speaker because you can tell people and give them an action to do something. You hear so many videos on and you're like, what action item are they telling me? They're just telling, they're telling the story, but no real relevance. Appreciate you coming by again. Well, thanks always for having me. Banana marketing. Okay. You know what? I've been feeding bananas this week, been eating a lot of bananas, but also feeding bananas. And today you're going to teach us banana marketing. Go ahead. Banana marketing is, uh, I stumbled across a TikTok, I don't know, six, eight, 10 weeks ago. And it was about the Savannah Bananas minor league baseball team. And I started watching them. And first of all, they were just entertaining. It was a bunch of, it's the whole minor league team. A gentleman named Jesse Cole bought this minor league team. And he, he decided that somehow he, that if this was going to be a success, they were going to have to do it differently than a regular minor league team. Right. So what he did is he must have hired a choreographer. I don't know. I didn't research this. I just found the team. I watched some of their videos and I loved it. They go out on the mound and on the, on the outfield and on the infield and at the catchers, uh, wherever the catcher stands, I'm not a baseball person. And they dance and they perform on the field. And it is to popular music, to things they're making up but it's choreographed and it's entertaining and banana marketing to me. That's what I'm calling it. Banana marketing after the Savannah bananas, by the way, okay. just, just for a, for snicks, I'm going to tell you how much the bananas uh, charge for their tickets. How much? $25, right? That's how much it costs to go to a, a Savannah bananas game. And guess what? They are sold out this season. They were sold out last season. They'll be sold out next season. Wow. And it's very difficult to get tickets because how do I know? I tried. So I, I searched again and guess what came up? StubHub that's selling banana tickets. So my husband and another couple were all going to see the Savannah Bananas in August. Guess how much I paid for those tickets? How much? $225 each. Yeah, wow. right? And I am dying to see the Savannah Bananas perform. I have never been to any professional sports game ever. Baseball, golf, hockey. Oh, my goodness. Basketball, football, nothing. The first 
semi-professional game I'm going to see is the Savannah Bananas because they are marketing like nobody else. They're out there doing something different than we see. Listen, people think People think that baseball is entertaining. It's a great excuse to go out and eat expensive, overpriced food and drink beer. What it's not, in my opinion, is entertaining. <laughs> Spoken like a true non-baseball fan. But I can't wait to go see the bananas. I cannot wait to go see them. So I'm I'm just trying to think, why is that so exciting? The, the whole thing that you're talking about, the Savannah Bananas and how they go viral. They went viral on TikTok. That's one big thing that helped them, right? They're, they've gone viral. Yeah, they've gone viral. Why is that? Well, first of all, you don't know this about me, but I used to own a dance studio for kids. And so I really love dance. Oh my so gosh. You know, I've loved- interviewed Abby Lee Miller. I don't know who that is. Oh my goodness. And you're a dance studio and remember dance moms? It was, I got rid of my studio in 2004. Uh, right? So you were, you were so, way before the Abby Lee Miller world. You yeah. have to look up dance moms is a popular show on lifetime about kids and dancing and all that stuff. And it was like okay. viral. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm not, yeah, that was way before her time. But what I really do love is entertainment. I am a theater buff. I love musicals. So when I saw these videos, I'm like, huh, these guys are out there dancing, choreographed while they're supposed to be playing baseball. This is fun. This sounds fun to me. This looks like fun. So the more I got to know about the bananas and the more videos I watched, I'm like, oh, I want to go see this. I want to see this in person. I want to take this in because there's business lessons galore that you can pull from uh, by being there in person and watching what's happening, what's going on behind the plate, what's going on in front of the plate, what's going on in the stands, what's going on with concessions, right? There is, I am sure I will walk away with a ton of content that I can come back and bring to my clients and uh, the public from that. See, now when you talk about business ideas, and I know I want to see what you think in the whole banana marketing craze. That's what I'm calling it. Okay. I want, uh, I want, I want credit for saying I founded the name banana marketing. No, I'm just kidding. I don't care. That's okay. And you maybe will be dancing with them. Now, so for banana marketing, when you think about banana marketing and what differentiates and changes and makes things go viral and makes people entertain is a marketer needs, if you're marketing something, you need to entertain, empower and educate them and make it exciting. So are you seeing a lot of stuff that's just the same old, same old when it comes to people marketing their business? Uh, not my clients, but yes, I think a lot of people are just trained to market like every, like their competitors do. And it's like, okay, so when you market like your competitors, the only way you have to stand out then is on price, right? And you definitely don't want to be the highest price one if you're going to market like everybody else. But that's why I was willing to pay $225 a ticket to go see the Savannah Bananas because their marketing is so different than any sort of baseball game I could go to. So tell me some out of the box marketing things you would think about that would. Uh, so, or would let me, all right. I, did I tell you about the stolen teddy bear? Did I tell yes, you that? Yes, I love that one. Okay, so that was out of the box marketing, right? The teddy bear stolen, I write a press release, I send it in. 
that's out of the box marketing. Um, some of the other out of the box marketing that I did in a retail chocolate store was, um, I'm sure I shared this story with you too, bringing kids in to do kids in the kitchen camp. Why? Because I was tired of people saying I would eat all of the profits and I could work, I couldn't work here. Well, I was tired also of bad employee attitudes, right? So why not get somebody who will pay us to work there? It was it that's kind of out of the mark, out of the box marketing. Um, the fudge for soldiers that I, I'm sure I talked to you about that. That's out of the box marketing. How can I do something different than what my competitor is doing? And in that case, I did it before my competitor implemented their own idea for that. So they couldn't do it. The thing that people have to understand when it comes to marketing, and I'm just going to kind of get on my soapbox for a second because it's a Friday. And you're liking this. So is as a professional wrestler, when I went out to perform in towns where I either was the big name or on the first match in the card, it was all about selling. We called it selling and selling the audience and selling when we're hurt, selling the crowd to get them to get into it. All those different things that you could see what works and doesn't work. And if you in the first couple minutes of the match said they're dead, we better change things up. Oh my, this match is going in the right direction. The crowd's with us. We're going to go longer. We weren't supposed to. Oh, we have them. They're right there. Let's go. If you don't look and look at your audience and understand who your audience is, how they're reacting to you and, and what they like and don't like, you're not marketing. And we're talking about, and that's the key thing. So there's so many people marketing things that people don't care about. They don't like, they're not interested, or it's not out of the box and it's not going to get people excited. It seems like banana marketing, they got people excited. What's the, that's so important. If people aren't excited about who you are as a business, you're in trouble. Well, you did exactly what everybody should be doing now, right? We're just, we're in a little bit different time right now. Marketing should be all about the experience. So that is why, why I'm so crazy about the Savannah bananas right now is that it's the experience. I don't, I could care less about baseball, right? It's the experience of going there and being entertained by something that's not, in my opinion, supposed to be entertaining, that's an experience. How can you create experiences for your clients? Here's another example. Uh, I, oh, maybe I'll tell you next week, but I'm a, I'll tell you what I'm going to do it, but I don't want to give it away because I don't want my clients to hear it. Next week, I am taking them to Nashville for an intensive two-day business training. Wow. I have created an experience in, let's just say, the country music capital of the world for them. Right. So we're going to go, we're going to get business training, but there's going to be an experience around it to drive home the lessons. It's not just going to be, be me yammering at them for two days about what they need to know about business that they don't. It's going to be, here's the experience. Now let's talk about it and how can you implement this experience into your business? It's all about experience. And I think that's a good, the good, the good point is people don't buy from people. So give me an example Gene probably would never have even talked to me about, you know, learning about podcasting. If I wasn't the number 12 celebrity podcaster in the world, if I didn't speak at Suzanne's for three years, she would have been like, nope, I'm not going to go spend my time talking to somebody I don't know. 
So you talk about the experience, the experience of doing my show, the experience of learning who I've interviewed, the experience of different things. That's what differentiates you and makes you exciting. Oh, you know, what's going on now? Yeah, I'm talking to somebody and he's boring and he's giving me some advice, but I'm not interested in it. You have to become an experience. Experience that banana experience. I have to think about the media giant experience or the media giant effect, which is coming soon to a theater near you. And that's what all you have to do. And if you do that, bingo, let's give an example. Finally, I was working on my content. I've been using all, working on my client's content. You know, I interviewed Cam Hayward, six-time pro bowler. Boom, put out some stuff. Said, you know, everyone's saying I need to do stuff on business, or I'm saying it in my head, coaching myself. No, I'm gonna go back to what worked. So I had some unbelievable celebrity interviews with Sean Cannon from Cobra Kai and all these people. We had a lot of fun when I challenged the heavyweight, former heavyweight champion of the world to a wrestling match. That's what people want to see me on video. They don't want to hear that I can market for them. So I've been giving them that this week, 20,000 plus views on my videos. That's talking on social media, not talking everywhere else. That's what I did. I gave them the experience, the media giants experience. You're right. not gonna have you're not who are you gonna talk to when I was a tutoring when I was tutoring kids. So I'm giving you all the examples of why you're right. Uh I tutored kids. I hired a company to go book celebrities for me. And I was doing it from nine to eleven. I already interviewed a bunch of celebrities, but not to these main level. My business grew three times as much, and it was not from one website visit at all. Why everyone started talking me up saying, Oh, look who Daniel interviewed next. Who was he on social media? They bought for me. That's the bottom line. If you give them an experience like no other experience, they're never gonna go to anyone else. Right, they won't because because there's so many business owners out there that if let's let look, let's look at even what happened after COVID. Right, is the fact that people went back to either doing business as they were before or poorer than they did before right? Cutting back on their staff, cutting back on time, cutting back on tables, whatever it was, it was not great customer service. I think we're still in a, in a very poor, we're in a customer service slump right now. Totally. So customer, if customer service doesn't come back, who do you think you're going to go to? You're going to go to the person who gives you the best customer experience, which is customer service, right? How can you give your people the best experience of their lives when they work with you or when they shop with you or when they eat with you? And that's stuff that you cannot create through AI. You can't create that through funnels. You can't create that through an email list. You only can create that through figuring it out through experts like Gene Kuhn. So Gene, I think that's the best way to kind of segue banana marketing. Hmm. Now I'm interested. Hmm. Am I going to have to get some people on my show regarding banana marketing? Hmm. Maybe I'll have the guest from Savannah and see if you would have talked to me, Gene, before purchasing tickets, I probably got you media passes because that's part of the media giant experience. Best place to go, Gene, where can you go right now to schedule a call with you is GeneKuhn.com. GeneKuhn.com. Appreciate it, Gene. Thanks again. Thanks, Neil. All right, you're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment.
We're back to the Neil Haley Show. And my guest again is the co-founder of Fabulingua, uh, Leslie Amana Begert. Leslie, thanks for stopping by. And what our topic today is how, a, a cool activity for kids to learn a new language, especially Spanish this summer, because it will keep them occupied. I'm going to say this as a parent and also as a teacher. If you are not you know, engaging them in the summer, they're not going to be ready when the school year starts. So this is a perfect time for them to download Fabulingua and learn a new language and be able to utilize that next year. And, and then you're also keeping them engaged to have fun, things like that. It's that time, right? Yeah, no, I mean, they, they don't talk about the summer slide for, for no reason. And it's not the good kind of slide that is fun. Um, so, you know, you really do want to be careful during the summer that, um, kids are kept, um, engaged in, uh, you know, very constructive, you know, reading and, uh, math, et cetera, not a ton, but enough to keep their brains kind of still recognizing, identifying, and and being able to sort of keep up with that work so that you're not really starting from way behind when the fall arrives. And, um, uh, you know, but it's hard to do that because generally speaking, that means kind of schoolwork and it's not fun. And so you're going to set yourself up for a fight with your kid, which is no fun for anyone and, and not really that constructive, um, which is why Fabulingo really is perfect for this setup because it's a game, it's fun, uh, it's based on children's stories. So you're really going to be working a lot of literacy, uh, but it's literacy in Spanish, um, which is still helpful for English. But you're also learning a new language at the same time. And it's self-paced. Uh, the kids are just driving their own interest in it because it is a game. And so you don't have to be there being kind of the the, the taskmaster. You just have to make sure that they have that available you know, however often you decide is is relevant, you know, once a day is probably the most constructive in terms of language learning. Um, but then you can just step back and not really get involved and not kind of hover too much uh, and just let them do, you know, this is the, your kind of once a day thing. And, and you'll be surprised by the end of the summer, um, their ears will have started really attuning to the Spanish language. They start developing this really near native pronunciation because we have a lot of uh, voice exercises where they're imitating the narrator in the stories. Um, and they're really starting to uh, to to um, to get on their journey of, of Spanish language learning. Uh, if they're already intermediate, you know, you go through the various locations in the game and you're going to find that actually... Uh, we have some advanced stories in the more advanced locations that would also serve that kind of learner. So um, yeah, easy for the parents, fun for the kids, super constructive for language learning because it is based on the science of language learning on what's known as comprehensible input. So it really is the best practice approach for teaching a second language. So you kind of get it all in one, one space. You definitely get it in one space and introducing something as a game versus introducing worksheets. Oh my gosh, or workbook. Hey, here's a workbook. And especially if you're gonna hit the other area. Hey, you get to play a game during study time. That's gotta make kids happy, right? When you hear about how you have great stories to tell about parents that introduced Fabulingua to their lives, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's there's nothing like that kind of meeting of I really do think that gaming and education, that really is the future of education, is when people are going to start making like fully fledged games that are fun 
much more so than just gamifying educational content, actually making games that are fun. Because really, what have we always done as educators? Like the most successful educators meet the child where the child is. And right now, this generation likes playing games, right? Um, And so meeting them where they want to be is um, is really that kind of like perfect combination of getting education and getting in in the way they want to receive it that this generation wants to receive it they totally want and and want and have a want because when we force kids to do something or advise kids to do something it's not funny it's going to call cause fights but you've heard the stories from families all over or teachers introducing fabulingua doesn't feel like work it feels fun and you're learning at the same time and you're adding you're checking another box which is learning a foreign language think about yeah. this process you're not just okay we're keeping them active keeping the brain active so important but mm-hmm. also yeah. we're checking the box learn a new language so it's something new they're learning so you're developing them in that time of study or time that you want the kids to be occupied that's got to feel great for them, right? Feel great for the parents and then also feel great for the kid. Totally. Because actually, you know, one of the things that that's a sort of uh, maybe a World Cup secret, if you're not, if this is not your space um, in the language learning space is not a World Cup secret. It's very well known fact is that actually learning a second language has really profound effects on the structure of the brain. Uh, kids that learn a second language have more gray matter, more white matter. They literally have more brain cells. So they end up being smarter, having better memory. Uh, and long-term, they actually, it helps with aging of the brain as in you age, your brain age, ages better. Um, but also there's just so many effects that have been shown on social emotional intel- intelligence, on executive functioning, on attention and focus. So all of these things are things that as educators and as parents, we're really aware that we want to get the executive functioning part of the child's brain really ramped up because that really helps them, you know, make plans, execute to plans and administer their lives. And one hack for that is language learning. And so if you look at all of the benefits of on the brain, the very re- well-researched and documented benefits on the human brain of learning a second language, uh, you'd want to have your kid learn a second language just for that. The fact that then it can then communicate with people from different cultures and stuff, that's like a massive bonus on top. So really from no perspective, this is a bad idea. And, um, you know, typically you don't really get parents that are like, no, I don't want my kid to learn a second language. Actually, most parents would like that, but they just think it's really hard. So they don't want to embark on a hard, long road. But this is where Fabulingua comes in because it's not hard. It's really as simple as, you know, just making sure that your kid has you know, 20 minutes a day available to play this game. And then you can just check out, you don't have to get involved in the the management of it. um, And you just have to make it available for them. And, you know, uh, then it's a win-win both for the brain, for the cultural aspect, um, and just keeping, as you said, these kids entertained over the, and engaged, productively engaged over the summer. Especially a lot of them are going to want to have screen time. And that's kind of often sets parents up on an edge over the summer. You kind of have this feeling of, oh, there's too much screen time, you know, especially if you live in Texas or baking hot outside, they're indoors, they're with screen time. So you're going to just feel better when part of that screen time is actually really contributing to their brain development, to their development as humans, to their development of, of their capacity to communicate with other kids in other cultures as they grow up. 
And that's huge. That's so important. I mean, because you're, you're doing everything as a parent, you feel good. And then, Hey, get, you're going to get a little break, especially when you're looking at the young yes. ones. Cause again, Fabiolingua ranges from what ages? It ranges from two to 10. A two-year-old is going to use it very differently to a 10-year-old. A two-year-old is going to have the parent who needs to sort of set it up for them and maybe get needs to get them in the right location and open the right story. Um, and then kind of, okay, you're going to have, you can probably, you know, explain to them how to move from page to page. And once you've explained to them, maybe you're going to have to kind of keep an eye out on the left, but they're going to slowly get it. Whereas a 10-year-old, you probably don't even need to go near it. They're so... Uh, you know, conversant in, in uh, mobile games these days that most of them are just going to know exactly what to do right off the bat. Such, such a great thing. And people, it's very easy and, and supportable, right? We talked about this before, Leslie, compared to hiring an after-school tutor in the summer or, you know, having certain camps. This is something you're going to check the box. You're going to have them interactive. You're going to get some time alone by yourself to while they work independently all those are huge things for a parent in the summer with the stress really becomes big. Saying, yeah, huge. yeah, no, absolutely. This is definitely going to buy you some time uh, to either have a shower, make a meal or answer your never ending amount of emails um, while they're doing that. Um, you might even learn some Spanish in the background if, it, if it's playing uh, loud enough for you to hear it. Exactly. Or parents can be interactive depending on the age and all the different things. And best place people just go to the app store. That's the cool thing, right? Go to the app store right now and they can download Fabulingua or go to Fabulingua.com. Simple stuff, right? Yeah. You, you, Fabulingua.com is going to tell you all about the science behind how we approach it. It's going to tell you about our patented method. You're going to be able to look into look at our stories uh, there's a link there to actually our YouTube where it has just the sort of stories themselves. If, if, if people want the, just the, the free stories themselves. Um, and, uh, but you're going to have to download it either in the app store or uh, the Google play store. You can't download it from our actual website. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Leslie. Again, great information. Hey, if you're a parent, a teacher, anyone that's, you know, tuning in, listening, seeing it in social media, you're missing the boat. Get something that's going to help them learn a second language, help their mind grow so that the next school year, they're going to be less likely to ask you for help in homework. They're going to be less likely. They're going to stay more focused and they're going to be able to converse in another language, which is so important. So we appreciate it, Leslie. Thank you so much. All right. You're welcome. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. and We'll be back. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mike Velarde Show. I'm excited to welcome the program, Mike Velarde. Mike, how are you? And you know what? You're creating a theme this week. I interviewed John McAtee of The Right Stuff this week, and now you have somebody else with another conservative choice in social media. I'm so intrigued about his story, and I know he's running for office as well. What a, what a connection you have, Mike. Introduce our guest. Yeah, Ryan, welcome to the Mike Velarde Show. I'm going to let you talk about yourself and tell everyone what you're running for and what you're doing. Awesome. Hey, Mike, thanks for having me on, Neil. Thanks for thanks for uh, doing what you guys do. A uh, little bit about myself. I live down in central Florida, a, a town called Ocala, and it's a little bit about an hour north of Orlando, horse country. So we, we, we have horses everywhere up here. I grew up here. Um, matter of fact, next next week I'll be 49 years old. I lived here almost uh, 39 of those years. So I moved here when I was 10. 
married uh, my high school sweetheart. We've been married uh, 29 years, have four adult sons. We kept trying for a girl. That's how we ended up with four boys. That, that's really the only way it, it works <laughs> out that way. But I've been uh, an entrepreneur most of my life, built businesses really all over the country. And in 2019, 2020, I exited some of those business, ran for U.S. Congress. Uh, I did not win that race, uh, but I learned a lot from it. And my my political uh, ventures started to take off. Shortly after that race, I was connected with some some real uh, patriot entrepreneurs. I'm a patriot entrepreneur, but but we were able to raise some funding. Right about the time Donald Trump got kicked off Twitter, the social media world just kind of, you know, opened up like what in the world's going to happen here? Everybody's getting cut off of everything. So uh, my partner and I, we formed an organization called the True Patriot Network, and we began to build from scratch a uh, free speech platform that has been kind of been launching for several years now. We're we're in the app store. We have thousands and thousands of people that have downloaded that use the app, and we're beginning to take it even in some different directions. You know, with Elon this last year dropping $50 billion into Twitter and a few other things happening to keep shaking the uh, social world up, we're taking TPN into to some new directions, but we're very excited that it's got that uh, Patriot niche to it, and there's just a lot of possibilities. Well, um, in Florida, as we've all seen, some things have opened up. Uh, politically, Florida's gotten a lot of attention over the last a few years for obvious reasons that people are, are migrating. They're they're escaping from certain states and coming to Florida. That's that's what's happened. And I was looking to run for a state house seat in my local area, and some things opened up, and a special election popped open in in just this past December, someone was forced to resign. That opened up a special election. It was very aggressive in this area. So I am in the middle, I'm in the last three days of the general election. I won a aggressive uh, Republican primary race, March 7th. And that opened up to where there was no Democrat opposition, but we do have a write-in candidate. My name's the only name on the ballot. So it looks uh, like we're just bringing this thing home. But in the next few days, I should be able to usher in and, and finish the race and be an elected official district 24 state house here. We can go to work with governor DeSantis to keep doing what uh, needs to be done in Florida. So that's kind of it in about, you know, two minutes or less what's going on in my life. Now that's really interesting. I'm going to jump you know, and Mike good. You have a question first for him. I have a lot to talk about the true Patriot network, learning more about the, the product and the app and what makes it different in social media. I've been interviewing people from pet apps to all these different places to give alternative social media than Facebook for sure. But go ahead and Mike, your question more about the, the, uh, the, the election and stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I just, want, I'm interested to know what's your opinion on now that we got this migration and of course they don't want to ship people to Florida because that's what Biden's been trying to do. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, my take, and it is a heavy topic. During this election, as I we we knocked on a lot of doors, met a lot of voters, and immigration's a real thing. We we can see the effects of it here in Florida. And here's here's my take on it. Uh, the Biden administration is, cre- you know, we used to just have a couple of border states. Now all states are border states because millions of people are coming in. We have to think of it as really an attack on our country in a way with because we we have no control currently as to uh, the backgrounds of the people that are coming in monitoring. And, and we've got to do something about it. 